Avengers, Age of Ultron is garbage, folks. Is it an alligator or a crocodile? I don't know the difference, and at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Look at that. That is a werewolf. <laughs> what is up, everyone? Welcome back. We are back. This is Denny Geek Presents Marvel Standing Live. And each week, and we do mean each week now, no more long breaks, I promise. Unless something happens, who knows? Anyway, we are here to give you the deepest possible dives on all the goings on in the MCU, Marvel Comics, and beyond. And with me for all time and always, we have Den of Geek News and Features Editor Kirsten Howard, Den of Geek TV Editor Alec Bajalid, and returning special guest, brilliant pop culture writer, Denny contributor, and all-around good dude, Joe George. Now, we've been off for about a month now, right? And I got to explain this to everybody. I'll be real. Uh, San Diego Comic-Con kind of wiped us out, and a bunch of us needed some time off. But don't you worry, because we're going to get to all of the new announcements from SDCC this week. And incoming episodes, not to mention whatever else Kevin Feige has up his sleeve for D23 and beyond. So this was Kirsty's idea. I can't take credit for it. But rather than try and run down the entire calendar all at once, which we'll eventually do again at some point in a future episode, we figured it'll be cooler to kind of touch on each of the new projects as we get to them. And it'll break things up with, uh, you know, with all of the episodes of She-Hulk we'll be covering over the next nine weeks. So Today, we're going to talk a little about the Black Panther Wakanda Forever trailer, and then we will dive into the first episode of She-Hulk. But before we do, you should know that this episode is brought to you by Bob Streaming Club. Do you ever find yourself a little overwhelmed by the number of streaming choices out there? You find yourself paying for monthly streaming subscriptions to services you don't always use? Folks, there's a better way. Let the good people at Bob Streaming Club curate your streaming experience for you. One low monthly flat fee gets you access to three fresh streaming services every month curated by the experts at Bob Streaming Club. They'll keep track of all the cool stuff for you and pick the services with the biggest releases that month so you get the most out of every channel. Their streaming selection for the month of August includes HBO Max, so you can catch up on Westworld and get ready for House of the Dragon, Hulu for the much buzzed about The Bear and the return of Solar Opposites, and AMC Plus, so you can watch the brand new Tales of the Walking Dead, as well as other cool new shows like Moonhaven and Dark Winds. So get your perfect slice of streaming with Bob Streaming Club. Head over to bobstreamingclub.com to learn more. But now... How about that Black Panther Wakanda Forever trailer, folks? What did everybody think of this one? I'll go first. It's amazing. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. And, you know, I went into it with worried because of the production, you know, that, that of, of this movie. And we hadn't seen much for it. And I was lowering expectations all the way through and just full on jaw drop with that. I mean, just everything that you would want. It's glorious. Angela Bassett doing awesome acting. Namor's got wings on his feet. I mean, I can't think of too much more that I want to see uh, out of that trailer. It's, it was glorious. Yeah. It's, it's hard to argue that it's not like, I mean, the, maybe the best Marvel trailer of all time. 
or as we point out in the comments, top three, it really goes to show you just like how far the right music choice can go in, in like a little hype sizzle reel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like my, uh, like a lot of us, my, my confidence and hype for a Black Panther sequel had kind of died down a bit because of those aforementioned production issues. And also because of um, just kind of my memories of, of the original Black Panther, which I loved a lot until kind of, you know, that rushed ending that we recently found out had some um, VFX issues. Um, but man, I have not been this hyped for a trailer in a while. Oh, are we having technical difficulties here? <laughs> <laughs> did, <laughs> we did not stage this just so Andrew could uh, deploy that graphic, folks. Don't worry. Uh, but we, we're sorting it out. In the meantime, uh, I'm just going to, I have no ch- choice here but to echo what Alec and Joe are saying. I mean, personally, I think this is the best MCU trailer I've ever seen. And mm-hmm in part because even if this wasn't a sequel, even if this was not part of like the largest, most successful film franchise of all time, this trailer would be so compelling, completely on its own. Mm -hmm. It's not a superhero movie trailer. I don't know what it is, but it it, it is so moving and so spectacular and so genuinely emotional Mm -hmm. in ways that obviously some of that has to be because of, you know, what we know happened here in the real world, right? Like we tragically lost Chadwick Boseman, you know, who kept his, you know, his, his illness private, you know? So when, when that announcement was made, it was, it was a tremendous shock. So obviously there's an emotional weight that comes with that, you know, that the trailer plays on very well. But I feel like even without the knowledge of that, even just completely removed from these events, that trailer is is going to do something to people. Mm -hmm. So I really hope that the movie is able to live up to it, you know, and uh, Joe, you mentioned you mentioned Namor. And this is an amazing, amazing way to introduce Namor to the MCU. Uh, do you want to talk about this a little bit? Because there's, there's a lot of deep dives we can do on Namor. Uh, no pun intended, but let's, <laughs> let's start with, let's just start with how historic and important it is for this character to finally be appear. I mean, he's one of the first superheroes, one of the first Marvel superheroes. And, and, and I got to put asterisks around that because he's kind of an anti-hero, you know, he's, Every time they try to make Aquaman really cool and grouchy, they're really trying to do Namor, who is has his superpowers, has a, a connections to the surface world, but has a very contentious relationship with the surface world, which is fun. But the biggest fun is he is just the biggest arrogant jerk while also being the guy who can back it up. Like he's the guy that walks into the room and knows that he's the most attractive person in the room, knows that he is the most regal person in the room and deserves all of his arrogance. And he, he, he's just such an epic, well, perfect Marvel character that we've been dying to see. I don't think we've gotten this type of character in the MCU yet. I especially appreciate the the sort of cultural specificity that they've given uh, this version of Namor, as opposed to kind of a random Atlantean that can be drawn in different ways in the comics. Um, 
this uh, this version has more of a Central American uh, sort of specificity to kind of connect that. And so I'm really excited. We've got a rich character who is going to be a lot of fun to play off the other characters in the Marvel Universe. And anybody who's read any of the, especially past 10, 15 years, the stories between Wakanda and Atlantis going to war know that we're into good, good, good conflict and storytelling. And you didn't even mention the fact that he's just going to cuck the absolute hell out of Reed Richards at some point in the next few years. So no, he won't. Sue is loyal. She just, she just does that to, to read to wake up. She knows what she's doing. You know, like, like you know, you have a workaholic who's neglecting his wife and you know, things are going to happen. So, uh, but yeah, but you know I, what? If it's John Krasinski, who could blame her, right? <laughs> of course, she's going to go to Neymar. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny that you say, um, you know, like grouchy Aquaman, right? And you yeah. know, Jason Momoa is terrific as Aquaman, but he would have been a great Namor, you know. And it mm. and it really is true. Like that that really seems like this is one area where DC kind of beat Marvel to the punch on the big screen. But what Marvel has done with uh Tenoch Huerta as as Namor looks spectacular mm-hmm. um and given the, the you know the recent history in the comics that Namor and, and you know the nation of Wakanda have I think there's some really interesting stuff on the horizon here um I am curious though you know Alec you are generally are are non you know less familiar with the comics than than the rest of us you know, does anybody under the age of 40 even like know or care about Namor? I mean, I can't speak to everybody under the age of 40 <laughs> as an under 40 or myself. Um, pretty much unfamiliar with Namor. I mean, like I only started hearing about him like a few years ago when there were, you know, the MCU rumors. Um, he sounds cool, though. I'm happy to hear he's horny. Um, that's fantastic. <laughs> he looks great. Um, and while you guys are describing him, I, I it was previously unclear to me as to why he would be introduced now and in this way in Wakanda forever. But the way you described him, it sounds like he's almost like the anti T'Challa, like, like this regal King who is a bit high on his own supply rather than um, the humble and decent. Um, So I see the appeal and he looks great. And I'm excited for the Namor era, having just learned about his existence like a couple years ago. We need to add like that third element, of course, the thing that brings in the comics, at least T'Challa and Namor together against one another, which is Dr. Doom. And so I'm going to put down my marker right now and say Dr. Doom is in this movie. I'm calling it now. He's either in the post credit or he is going to actually be the villain in third act reveal. But I'm confident that Doom will be in Black Panther. too. Kirsty, as our resident Latverian and Dr. Doom apologist, do you have thoughts on this? Yeah, I'd love that to happen. Um, That's it. Like, I'd be overjoyed. <laughs> Absolutely overjoyed. I can't, I can't imagine them waiting until Secret Wars to introduce Doctor Doom. That seems like it wouldn't be a thing. I, I'd imagine he would slowly creep into the MCU, just like perhaps Thanos did. And we'd just see little glimpses of him and the threat would grow. Somewhere between Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars would be the emergence of doom fully. And I, I, yeah, I can't wait to see it. I need Joe to be right here because <laughs> the, the sheer dorky appeal 
of Wakanda Forever centering on not one, not two, but three fictional nations and rulers <laughs> in the MCU is just is is just like I would be overjoyed, you know. Like, give me all of the geopolitics of the MCU. I, I mean, to this day, I still wish that you know they were at least able to mention Latveria for years. Like I've just been waiting to hear that country's name. So like, I, I really hope you're right here. And the potential of, of Wakanda and Atlantis conflict, and then, you know, like somebody that could finally bring two opposing nations like that together would absolutely be the not necessarily benevolent dictator of Latveria. <laughs> Movie's going to be nine hours long, isn't it? Oh God, I hope so. Like, I would watch <laughs> that trailer for nine hours. Like, like, I would watch that trailer for nine hours. I mean, like, let's let's think about this here. We've been we've been talking about this trailer for five six minutes now, and we haven't even bothered with the idea. It's like, well, who's going to be the new Black Panther? Who cares? It doesn't matter. Like, Wakanda is such a fascinating location. And all of the other characters that were introduced in the first film are so compelling in their own right. And the excitement over meeting Namor is so high that like, I don't even care who puts on the Black Panther suit in this movie. Whoever it is, I know it's going to be the right choice. Like, I know that Ryan Coogler is not going to let us down. When it finally happens, it'll be an amazing, powerful moment. But if it doesn't happen, I get the feeling that this movie is going to be like I, this, like you, Joe, my, my expectations had dropped and, and I went from like zero to most anticipated Marvel movie in years on first viewing of that trailer. They just need to let, let Coogler direct the fight scenes. I rewatched Creed this last week oh, yeah. and boy, the, <laughs> the difference between the gorgeous fight scenes in Creed and the previous stuff that they made him use in, in Black Panther 1. I don't know why, if you've got a talent like that, who is really good at staging dramatic, character-driven fight scenes, why you would not let him. I just, let Coogler do whatever he wants. I, I hope that's what they're doing. They wised up. And Creed is, in my opinion, it's the second best Rocky movie, but to your point, it has the best in-ring action of any Rocky movie. Like, and it's not even close. So any other thoughts on Black Panther Wakanda Forever before we jump into She-Hulk this week? For me, one of the surprising things is my five-year-old son, the thing he is most excited about in the movie is Ironheart because she's in like the, the kids' Marvel cartoon. So I'm freaking out about Namor and he's like, who's that? Oh, that's, that's Ironheart. He's like, Ironheart's in the movie? You know, so <laughs> that's, that's really exciting that these kind of next generation characters are resonating with next generation superhero fan lee is pointing out that jonathan majors has gotten ridiculously jacked for creed 3 which means he is ridiculously jacked as kang and everybody is in trouble now <laughs> <laughs> i think we should uh move on to she hulk because we will be, oh, look at this. What a what an incredible wow. transition. Andrew gets better and better at this with every episode. She-Hulk episode one. Kirsty, why don't you tell us what went down? Okay, well, if my internet holds out, I definitely will. 
Um, the first episode of Marvel's She-Hulk Attorney at Law, we meet Jennifer Walters, a lawyer with big ambitions whose life is thrown into turmoil after she accidentally absorbs some of her cousin Bruce Banner's blood in the wake of a car accident, turning her into a Hulk. Bruce insists that Jen can't simply go back to being a lawyer without first testing her strength and taming her anger. So he keeps her at his Mexican retreat where he hints that Jen will have no choice but to eventually become a superhero. When it becomes clear that Jen has much more control over her Hulk side than Bruce, he reluctantly lets her return to her life, but it's not long before she has to step into the limelight and fight a rampaging influencer called Titania in the middle of court proceedings. It's interesting that Titania even merits a mention, considering how little she's in the actual episode. Um, but she looks what, phenomenal, though, right? So totally yeah. worth a mention. <laughs> yeah, she does. She does. It will be amazing if that ends up being her only appearance in nine episodes. Too. Like it's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so um, what did everybody think of the episode? <coughs> Bless you. <laughs> Joe's body just like rejected his opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's, like, I'm like, Joe's allergic to bullshit. Like, that's the... <laughs> You guys might need a peek behind the curtain because the, the question of whether we like She-Hulk or not, I feel like has torn this company apart from the inside <laughs> out. <laughs> um, it is, it's proven to be shockingly divisive for such kind of like a relatively simple concept. Um, I'll say this, I'll, I'll get us started here while, while um, so we, for the video folks, anybody who's not listening to this via podcasts, what does it say there next to, to Bo Jalid? I'm just going to point that out. Alec. Uh, it says, well, it says, it says TV, <laughs> listen, wise guy. It says TV editor. So that's the perspective I'm coming to this show from. And I think I am, with that in mind, I think I am incapable of not enjoying it. Um, because having seen the next few episodes, this is an actual TV show. Maybe Marvel's first since WandaVision, maybe Loki, in that this is not the usual model of we're just going to tell a six-hour movie and just arbitrarily cut it up into six or nine episodes. Having said that, this first episode is fairly rough. The, the editing is a bit choppy. I don't know that we needed an origin story from episode one, and the humor is not there yet. Like, the show takes a minute to kind of develop its comedic voice. And of course, I mean, there's the kind of the much criticized CGI, which is not as noticeable in big chunks, but it is still not great. Um, I like this first episode just fine. I think it's the weakest of the four that we saw. Um, I'm excited to talk about this show going forward, uh, but I will also just let you guys t take it away now and presumably be upset. <laughs> You just told us to read the name tag. I don't know what we can say after that. <laughs> At the sign. And... Well, Joe, you watched this again today, right? And you liked it a lot more the second time. I did. I did. So I, I kind of had the, I mean, uh, so I, when I watched the four that were made available to us, by the time I got to episode four, I was very disappointed with it. So uh, when, when Kirsten and I were talking about it earlier, we were both kind of down on it. And then I rewatched the first episode this morning and it's better. You know, there were times that I laughed out loud and, and I, and I, and I, I take your point, Alec, that I, and I think it's a really good one that 
it is an actual TV show and there's a sense of <laughs> trying to tell a coherent story within 30 some odd minutes and all that sort of stuff. And I, and I, and I like the idea of a sitcom set in the Marvel universe. They've got the situation down. The comedy on the other hand seems to be largely missing. And like I said, this, this episode worked a little bit better for me as far as that goes, but man, a lot of, a lot of the jokes, even in this episode are, come from stock characters. You know, we get the arrogant lawyer bro that we've seen a billion times before. Um, even even kind of chummy smart Hulk is becoming uh, just an empty stock character. And, and I feel like that's where they're getting their jokes from a lot of times. I mean, I didn't have a bad time watching it because Tatiana Maslany and Mark Ruffalo are charming people and, I, I like to watch them, but there's not a lot of there there for me besides just oh this is this is mildly entertaining. Kirsty. <laughs> well, if we're just talking about this episode, you know, it's fine. It's fine. It's competent. It was definitely an origin story that that happened. But if we're talking about the rest of the episodes we watched, I think for me, this might be one of the worst things the MCU has done. Tatiana Maslany, great actress, trying her best. Rest of the cast, trying their best. But there's just not much here for me to really love yet. Gets really fluffy, which is fine for a comedy. But then in the first four episodes, I didn't laugh. So I guess whether the humor works for anyone is on a case-by-case basis. No pun intended. (laughs) The writing is a little heavy handed. The vibe just feels really dated in general. CGI was kind of a mess in the other three episodes I saw. Um, Sometimes it looked like She-Hulk wasn't even in the room. Her eyes and expressions like really flat. Maybe they're still working on that though. Like, I don't know. The fourth wall breaking for me doesn't happen often enough for it not to be jarring when it does happen. and in terms of the cameos, um, the more of those there are, the more the show forces Jen's story into the background, which I really hate for her and hate for us because she seems like a great character. You know, in the, the very few comics that I've read of She-Hulk, I really enjoyed them and, and found them really fun. Um, yeah, I don't know what happened here. This first episode is basically all right, but it just got worse and worse for me as it went along. Um, Looking at my social feed, though, people seem to love this premiere and looking at other reviews of the first four episodes as a whole, I think I was in the minority being underwhelmed by them. Um, Just as it sounds, I'm not sold on it yet, but maybe it will get better. So I didn't see the other three episodes because my screeners came in while I was on vacation and they expired while I was on vacation. So I watched this. I'm a man of the people. I watched this with, uh, with everybody else this morning, much like the 2008 Incredible Hulk movie, I thought this was perfectly adequate. I thought it got the job done. Um, You know, I was entertained for 37 minutes. Uh, What I liked about this, as Alec points out, it does feel like an episode of television, not one ninth of a movie. So check, that's great. Um, But it also 
And whether this was intentional or not, like Nagma2708 is making fun of me in the comments about us common common folks. Listen, wise guy, I got enough people needling me actually on the show. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But also it felt like an issue, a, a first issue of a comic book. Uh, particularly a comic that would have been published in like kind of the bronze age, like the seventies or eighties, you know, where it's very dense and information heavy. Like it really, it gets that origin and training montage out of the way. There's a boatload of exposition, you know, and that is very much what comics would be like in the days before a character would be introduced on a team and then get popular and then get their own book. Like She-Hulk was introduced in the first issue of Savage She-Hulk, you know, which is uh, a CGC graded copy is uh, sitting right here behind me. That was the character's first appearance. And that was her origin story. And it told you everything you needed to know about Jen Walters, how she got her powers. Now she's She-Hulk on with the rest of the book. And this like this felt like that. And I, I have to kind of uh, give it up here because it's very different than, you know, Ms. Marvel by necessity was like an expanded origin story. Um, you know, and other things like Moon Knight kind of just like didn't bother with the origin story. So um, it was an interesting approach. I thought it was fine. Um, you know, maybe I'll like the next episodes more. Maybe I'll uh, fall more on the Kirsty side of things. We shall see. I do also like that it kind of follows the logic of the of the 2008 movie where just a few drops of gamma irradiated irradiated blood in an open wound is enough to, uh, you know, to turn somebody into something different. So I thought that was kind of neat. With that, I'm kind of surprised that there aren't more Hulks running around. I mean, like, because I mean, the Hulk's been out there for a while and just done nothing but bleed. <laughs> like, there's open <laughs> wounds left and right <laughs> in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I think, from what I... From, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike and Joe and Kirsten, um, but it seems like Jen has a, a unique um, cellular chemistry or cellular biology that, like, allows her to become the Hulk just like her cousin. And if, if like I got Hulk blood, I would be killed immediately. Yes. Which is what like, happened in the Stan Lee cameo in Incredible Hulk. I'm sorry, Joe, did I step on your no, line? No, you, you, you introduced 2008. You get to own that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just rewatched it. Like, it's actually like, it's a, that movie's an interesting time capsule and better than people give it credit for. I don't even think like the Ang Lee Hulk is that bad. Like oh. Hulk is always very adequate, <laughs> just like a, a whole legacy of adequacy. <laughs> like Ang Lee Hulk is great. We don't have time to get all of that, but that's okay. legitimately a top ten superhero movie for me. That's that's it's wonderful. Joe, I I don't know whether I'm. Do you know what? Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> there you go. There this you is go. What I'm up against. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you see our names? Not TV editors. Okay. <laughs> um. Before I get us back on track with the run of show that Kirsty like painstakingly puts together every week. I don't know. It's not, it's not that painstaking. Feel free. Can I just take us further off track for a moment? I, I need to I need to put I need to put a question to the audience here. The Cheetos and Chopsticks thing. Has anybody ever seen this in the wild? Because I have. 
I am so, I've only seen, so glad you asked. <laughs> I've only seen Oscar Isaac doing it on that picture, in that picture that was floating around on the internet. This is this is why I thought this was a Moon Knight reference, basically, is because he, there's a famous picture of Oscar Isaac eating Cheetos with chopsticks. Oh, I have seen that, yeah. And that, that's my only frame of reference for it. I didn't know this was a thing. I can't believe you brought this up because, like, I, I think it's fairly apparent uh, to, to everybody out there that, like, you know, Kirsten and Mike do most of the work here. <laughs> like they, <laughs> they come up with the run of show and then like I just kind of stop by and share my stupid opinions. The one thing I wrote down that I wanted to be to make sure to share with everybody was that I think chopsticks for Cheetos is completely asinine. Um, and a crucial part of eating Cheetos is getting the dust on your fingers so you can lick them off later like a revolting slob. <laughs> like that's how the Cheeto dust tastes the best is when it's on a human finger, preferably your own. <laughs> and you're not alone because because Muzna in the comments is writing in all caps right now, lick your fingers like normal people. <laughs> <laughs> I've only seen it once. I saw somebody on the subway and like, generally speaking, look, I'm a New Yorker. I'm broadcasting here like live from Midtown Manhattan right now. Okay. If you eat on the subway, you are like, I, I can't, I can't with you. Like, like eating on the subway, you're a monster. But I saw somebody eating not Cheetos, but Doritos with chopsticks like daintily out of like a little snack bag of Doritos on the subway one day. I'm like, they're onto something. So people do this. Like <laughs> I'm going to, um, I'm going to blow your mind even more. There is a, a product pitched on shark tank and I think it got invested, <laughs> in, which is like Cheeto chopsticks for gamers. Because when you're holding a controller, you don't want to be manipulating chopsticks to eat um your cheetos so you put like these little like these little devices on each finger so you can hold your controller with your palm and then you have chopsticks like coming out of your fingers like a weird wolverine and just dip that into your cheetos and eat i'm just glad we're getting into the real issues on this show you know it's about time <laughs> i feel like the fact that we're talking about this kind of proves the rest of us right about uh she hawk's appeal <laughs> And we decided to stop in. <laughs> well, like, hold on though. Let, let's 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 <laughs> let's accentuate the positives here because we do have a brilliant lead in this show in in Tatiana Maslany, um, and I think I think we should talk a little bit about that performance and and what what she's going for here. I caught this when we watched it. The very first shot is a is a relatively long one of her walking through her um, argument and the trial that she's preparing for. And she delivers it straight at the camera, at least first, and then it kind of pulls back really nicely, you know, a nice, for those of us that are expecting the fourth wall breaking, and then it turns out it's not that. And <clears throat> the range of emotions that she goes, goes through in the shot, you know, that it's, she's very confident at first as she's making this 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 legal argument and you see her preparing to be the confident uh uh well-prepared lawyer and then the way that she shifts to i'm so nervous to i'm irritated with the bro lawyer guy like she she's go cycles through believably these three emotions really well all in one uh unedited shot and it just it shows that she's 
you know, is an excellent actor and is the number one appeal to watching the show. Even when she's working through CG, that, that charisma still burns through. And, and, and you know, the, the irritating thing about the CG is that you're watching an approximation of her facial expressions instead of her actually great facial expressions that she's doing uh, in, in live action. But yeah, she's fantastic. I love Tatiana Maslany. I love Orphan Black. I was a huge Orphan Black fan and just think she's an incredible actress. Just, you know, she's won uh, a lot of awards and they've all been completely deserved. She just, she deserves the best material. Um, I saw a comment online that said, you know, this great actress, you know, now, now she's considered to be in the, you know, in the big leagues because she's the lead of a, of a Marvel show and like, you know, this is a big, a big break for her or something. And I said, you know, if, if being in the big leaves is synonymous with the kind of material she's given here, maybe it's not worth it. <laughs> it just feels like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like she should just, she, this show does not deserve Tatiana Maslany for me. Like she deserves so much more than this. It's not that I should feel bad for her. I'm sure she's getting a big paycheck and she's absolutely fine, you know? So she's definitely doing a lot better than me. We can Mad Libs what you just said with me talking about Oscar Isaac and Moon Knight. <laughs> <laughs> this show made me miss Moon Knight. Oh, no. Don't tell me Ooh. that. Don't tell Ooh. me that. No. Andrew, cut the feed. Yeah. Cut the feed. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this this was better than any episode of Moon Knight. Come on, like this was mm, better. No, yes. no. Wow. Oh boy, what what is waiting <laughs> for me the next few weeks? Holy moly! <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I I'm excited to talk about this show for the next few weeks, in, in particular because a I liked it, but also <laughs> there's a moment in episode three that just leans so far into cringe that it's going to be a Rubicon for like everybody involved. <laughs> Like it's like it's either the moment where you realize you're into this or you realize you are very much not into this. Oh, God. Um, anyway, this, uh, as I pointed out earlier, this is an exposition heavy episode. Where does everybody fall on how this explains, you know, Hulk lore? Uh, because, you know, ultimately, Bruce Banner is a character that ever since 2008, like we've only seen in relation to other major projects, you know? So I'm, I'm curious what, what we think about this. You know, I think that's a compelling, I don't know that the episode pulls it off, but I think it's compelling idea that different people um, can respond to their hulking differently. You know, that I'm going to bring in part of the Angley Hulk, but that version <laughs> of Bruce Banner and, and the comic version, you know, he had all sorts of trauma um, that repressed trauma from his, from his family. And that came out via the Hulk. I think it's really interesting. And again, I don't know that it pays off really well, but I think it's a really interesting idea that Jen has had to by because via her status as a woman, had to constantly modulate her emotions. And so that when she gets infected with something that could potentially turn her into a monster, if she lets those emotions go, she kind of already knows how to handle that. And, you know, and that the, the one scene that I thought was really impressive is when she's exp kind of going on a rant about that to Bruce and she's, you know, hulking out. And then he's getting ready to, to, to calm her down. And she's like, no, this is just me. And she pulls it back down again. And uh, that's something we've never seen before. And so that that kind of opens up 
you know, as we pointed out, there's a limitation, genetic limitation. We're not going to get a bunch of different hulks, but that opens up a possibility that different hulks are going to look different for different people. Um, and if this continues, then we can we can put a different spin on it. I thought that was really great. One thing that kind of is strange and also I feel impressive about Bruce Banner in the MCU is how much stuff happens for him off screen. And that like continues here. Like if you thought that this is the first episode of a She-Hulk show, that also goes into flashback for Bruce's time. And even still, we don't see like the important events. Um, we, we go to Mexico where he says he learned how to accommodate both his personalities and become smart Hulk. Um, we see him talk about Tony again, like Bruce Banner and Tony Stark is like one of the most passionate friendships of the MCU that we'd almost never see depicted on screen. It's just like always in the side, like oh, I was with Tony the other day. Like I saw Tony, here's me and Tony at a train. Like it's just always him talking about Tony and passing. <laughs> Have like they're like believable, like best bros. So all um, I can think about is that picture, you know, my friends are uh, off camera laughing. Oh, Nathan too. Fielder. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess it's kind of a, an atypical approach to fleshing out like one of your like most important characters in, in the cinematic universe. But I kind of like that it keeps it up that like so much of Bruce's backstory is just like him mentioning it. And then we fill in the details with our heads. Um. And for as imperfect as this episode was from a flashback perspective, I thought Hulk fighting was pretty cool. I mean, like, we got to see the clap again. Mm. Is that what it's called? Just the clap? It is now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it was It was nice. I thought it was some decent Hulk lore. I have to disagree with you, Alec, on that. I am so irritated about all of the off-screen I mean, the fact that his arm just gets fixed irritates me so much because it's taking it's taking that shot that people give against comic books all the time that that, you know, no death matters. Everything's going to return to the status quo. And that's true. But at least in comics, you know, when the flash breaks his leg, we're at least going to get six, you know, four to six issues of how does the flash be the flash when he has a broken leg or, you know, when. um uh, Bruce Banner dies and somebody else is the Hulk. We're going to get a couple of issues of what that's like for somebody else to be the Hulk. We don't even get that here. I mean, and I'm not saying broken arm Bruce is the greatest story in the world, but if you're going to send the freaking Russo's out to be like, Oh no, this is permanent. He, he's got a, 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 is something's wrong with his arm now, then at least give us one story that deals with that. Don't just be like, oh, it magically works. In the same way that in Infinity War, it sets up, oh, the Hulk's not coming out. Well, that's an interesting story. I'd like to see what happens there. Not, we cut and he's fine. That's, I I, I really hate that trope. And I, I, I think that MCU writers need to be very careful because comic book readers have come around to accepting that things are going to go back to the status quo because we get stories in between. If you even cut out the stories and you don't, you're going to just totally kill all of your stakes. And, and I think they're going to lose audiences that way. I respect that position. It also, it just sounds kind of boring to me. Like, I don't <laughs> No, you don't understand. Be... He's only got one arm. <laughs> he used to have two arms. Now he has one. This might be another TV versus comics thing. Um, <laughs> because I, it, every time like um, someone asks, like, how did X happen? I always think of this classic episode of Lost where, 
it was in the middle of season three or towards the beginning. And like they were running out of mysteries to solve because they hadn't negotiated an ending for the series yet. So they hyped up this episode about that they would explain how Jack, the lead character, got his tattoos. And it was <laughs> one of the worst episodes of television in human history. It was punishingly boring, and the answer was completely inconsequential. So I feel like maybe this is a TV watcher. I'm happy to yada, yada, yada a lot of like kind of the smaller details. Well, I think some of this also, you know, again, going, going back to that 2008 Hulk movie, which I encourage everybody to check out again, because first of all, it's better than you remember, but it's also, it kind of lays bare the problem with bringing the Hulk to other media at this stage. Like there's only a handful of Hulk stories, I think that can be told on screen, you know? And if you want to make a traditional Hulk movie, you can only make it once, you know, like we, they kind of made it twice with, with the Ang Lee version and the 2008 version. You know, there's only so many of these stories you could tell. It's like the, the, the classic Jekyll Hyde, you know, hunted, misunderstood Hulk, boom, done, check, you know, Hulk as member of team, check, you know, World War Hulk type stuff, you know, Gladiator Hulk, check, done, you know, Hulk is smart now, check, done. Hulk is a character that lends itself, lends himself very specifically to the serialized storytelling format of comics far better than movies or what we understand as TV today. You know, I, I think this is as good as it's going to get uh, as far as that stuff goes. I mean, like, you know, like Immortal Hulk is one of the great Marvel comics of the last decade. That's not something that's going to play on screen, you know? So um, I don't know. I'm very curious about this. However, this episode does bring back another major element from the MCU's past that could conceivably be glossed over, but that I don't think so. I mean, we've got like Chekhov's spaceship here with the, with the Sakarian messengers or whatever it was showing up there. Where do we think this is going? Because if the folks from Sakaar are looking for Bruce Banner six, seven years after the events of Ragnarok now, what's going on here? I mean, it's proper <laughs> proper World War Hulk, right? I mean, isn't that, it's going to be something like that. I'm, I'm guessing where he's going to lead an uprising or I don't know, we'll get more of the characters. I guess we've got most of them so far. We haven't had, isn't Scar supposed to be someplace on the horizon? this this the son of hulk at some point so we could be introducing more hulk-esque hulk adjacent characters that bruce needs to go there and take care of are we saying that hulk had a baby on sakar is that we saw his butt we know he was naked <laughs> we know that other people were around I, I don't see how this would not be not be possible that's half the battle <laughs> yeah no <laughs> Yeah, you, that's you, how it works, right? <laughs> you'll note that nobody's questioning whether Bruce Banner's a virgin in the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, who knows? But yeah, I, I thought that was uh, potentially significant. Uh, you know, it's interesting that that ends up being the thing that causes the car crash that then, uh, you know, facilitates uh, Jennifer's transformation. You know, in the comics, her origin is slightly different. It was an attempt on her life and it was a full-blown blood transfusion from her cousin. I don't know. I don't know if this this might be a little too obscure for like 
somebody as young as Alec, and I don't know if the Incredible Hulk TV series ever made an impact in the UK the way it did here, but like Joe, did the the car crash like facilitating a transformation uh, feel like a nod to the 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 opening of the uh, Bill Bixby Lou Ferrigno TV series to you? <laughs> you know, I did not clock that, but uh, <laughs> I, I think you're spot on. I mean, especially since the the issue that that you've got back there, the first lines about uh, uh, Banner are, it doesn't matter if his name is David or Bruce, <laughs> referring to the, the name change there. So yeah, they, they're probably thinking that. A lot of folks might not realize because here we are talking about how like difficult Hulk is to adapt and you know, like how there's only so many Hulk stories. There was a time when the Hulk was the face of the Marvel brand. Like there was a time in the early 1980s where this was arguably the most popular superhero in the world. Like the TV show was a massive hit and there were two faces of Marvel and those were Hulk and Spider-Man. And I would argue that Hulk was the more popular and more important for a period of time. Like I remember being at the supermarket with my mom and like, they're just being like Hulk garbage. Like, you know, like the kind of crap that they just like stick everywhere in the supermarket aisles. So like, the kids being pushed in, in, in the carts, like can just like try and reach and grab. I remember getting like, like angry that, that like mom wouldn't get me like a, a set of like incredible Hulk playing cards, not trading cards, not a Hulk card game, just regular old, like, like card game playing cards that just had the Hulk's face on them. <laughs> so I have a question then. Yes. So put, putting Spider-Man aside, because Spider-Man's always a big hitter, right? Who is the most popular MCU character now? And if you can't answer it quickly, therein lies the problem. It's probably right? Iron Man. No, yeah. I mean now. Oh, now, as in like yes. post-Endgame? Mm-hmm, yeah. Loki. You think? Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's, that's a loaded hmm is <laughs> your want it's just to do. interesting that you you all <laughs> not my loki favorite most quickly. popular loki are you suggesting that the mcu is having an identity problem that's uh... I'm, I'm just saying it's run out of big hitters you know and if loki who has only just turned into a superhero is the most popular um character yeah maybe i mean I think we start needing we we need some we I mean, uh, you know, T'Challa was, you know, Black Panther, but obviously oh, yeah. that doesn't. But I mean, I, I wouldn't. I, I think Shang Chi has potential to to fill that. Um, uh, I, I could see Ms. Marvel going that direction. Even I mean, it, it's it's they're just such a hard reboot or a hard reboot. They're in such a weird position here after Endgame mm. that they've got potential. They just have to boost them the right way. I think. I think it was absolutely the intention to make T'Challa the face of the MCU, um, you know, and potentially Carol Danvers. Uh, and if what we saw in the post credit, like, look, Carol Danvers has been great since Captain Marvel, you know, and like now that is that's becoming a character that I really want to see more of. 
but we need to see more of the character, you know, like Robert Downey Jr. was, was the face of the MCU for a long time in part because he was everywhere immediately. Like Hulk came out right after Iron Man and who is there in the final scene, but Robert Downey Jr. Like they really made the effort to put this character everywhere. They're so busy introducing all of these new characters right now that not everybody, you know, is, is getting their chance to, to make the impact. Uh, Lee is making the case that it could be Thor. I guess it could be Thor. Um, I, I stand by Loki though. I think, I think if we polled the audience, no, it's not Moon Knight. Get lost. Like, <laughs> get lost. Like, it's not Moon Knight. Like, like, he is in maximum bull busting yeah, mode it's today. Not Morbius, <laughs> it's not Moon Knight. Like, it's, you know, I would be very curious, though, if we, if we polled the audience about, like, who is, you know, who, who do people consider the face of the MCU hmm. post Endgame? I'd love to know who that, who people think that is. Um, my my bet is on Loki, and my bet is also is that that's not who Kevin Feige wants it to be. Yeah. Uh, right, they tried to kill him off twice. Yeah, you know. like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah so Loki, Wanda, these are all uh, sort of villains, have been heroes, you know, bit of a mixed bag. There's no, yeah. like, leading superhero, like, the apart from uh, Spider-Man, and that's that's it. And I, look, I, and I would love, I would love for one of these new characters to break through. I would, lo- I would yes. love it to be Kamala Khan. Like I would love it to be, you know, like hell, I, I, you know, whatever is on the horizon or not. Like I would, I would love it to be Jennifer Walters. Like you know, it would be, it, it's cool to see new faces here. But I don't know what to make of this. One other thing that I don't know what to make of is Kirsty. You pointed out that apparently this was not supposed to be the first episode yeah apparently this was the penultimate episode of she hulk the uh the pilot the premiere rather and they ended up um shifting this forward uh to the front of the series because they didn't think that people would wait that long to see uh jennifer walter's origin story as she hulk which i disagree actually and i don't know whether you guys do but i i feel like if we'd have gotten into the vibe of the show earlier and you know really picked up the case of the week stuff first and and built her character so that we it meant something to us when um we saw this background i think that might have uh, paid off a lot better as it is we went into this episode and we didn't really you know, we didn't really know anything about Jennifer and other than that she was Bruce's cousin and she's a lawyer and now she's a Hulk and that's, and that's it. And I, I feel like that was part of the problem for me is that I just didn't have enough. There, there wasn't enough for me to, to be drawn in by in the character and the story in this opening episode. It would work much better as the penultimate. And they've done that before, Moral. I mean, like from the WandaVision basically had it's like, here's everything that's going on episode be the penultimate episode. Yes. Um, which is kind of sort of the custom for TV. <laughs> and the fact that this was suffered from network interference kind of makes me love it more as a TV show because <laughs> it's like kind of a, a tried and true tradition <laughs> for the medium. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. This should have been penultimate. I genuinely thought it was intentional that it just felt like, like a standalone first issue, you know, intro to a character. So uh, this is, this is fascinating to me. 
you know, I was on vacation, so was not following stuff. And it's, uh, it's nice to learn about things and not come in like a jaded, you know, animal <laughs> like I usually do. Are you calling me a jaded animal? No, I like, I said, like, I usually am. Not Because you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and furthermore, fuck you. <laughs> That's okay. We're a PG-13 show. We're allowed one F-bomb an episode. Like, <laughs> yeah, we wasted it because we should have used it on the Captain America. Review. Oh, that's right. Oh. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> so you blew it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So I haven't read a ton of She-Hulk comics. You know, I've read I've read a handful of the original series. I've read a handful of, you know, the John Byrne series from the 80s, which really kind of set the tone uh, that we see here with the fourth wall breaking and everything else. And uh, I actually only just started reading the 2014 series uh, by uh, Charles Soule with amazing Javier Polito art. And that to me feels like it is like ready made for TV. And I kind of hope that's something that we're going to see more of uh, going forward. Does anybody else have any experience with, with She-Hulk comics or recommendations they want to make to the audience? Yeah. The Dan slot run is fantastic. Um, And I I feel like that's where this is pulling from a lot where I I love, I like John Byrne. He's a problematic guy. I know. He's a difficult guy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I, I like, I, I really love his, his She-Hulk run and in slots is the next one that I think is as good and is a lot of what the show seems to be pulling on, which is to say uh, it's lawyer in the MCU, you know, where she's litigating C and D list level uh, uh, superhero cases. And that's, that's, that set my expectation for what I hoped this show would be and, and what I still kind of hope uh, it becomes, you know, I know we got Frogman coming down the line uh, uh, in, in the episode that Alec referred to with the cringe uh, it, that, that cringe moment involves a pop star that everybody else recognizes. I have no idea who they were, but in that episode, I was very excited to see sea level Marvel villains show up and be like, Ooh, these guys are in here. So um, if you, if you're like me and you're just kind of eh on the She-Hulk show, check out the Dan Slot run. I, I I think that's really, really what you're looking for with probably where the show is going. I haven't read, I have only read a few She-Hulk comics, I think I said earlier. I've actually read more comics with Titania in than She-Hulk. And <laughs> I love Titania. She's brilliant. And I wish uh, we'd seen more of her in this episode, but hopefully we'll see more of her later because... I don't know what they've done with her character in the MCU, but um, in the pages of the comics, she's always been one of my favorites. So. All right. So that is it for this week's Marvel Stanum. We're back every week and on Thursdays now. Next week, we'll be joined by Marvel and DC writer Alex Pachnadel to talk She-Hulk episode two and Daredevil Born Again. So make sure you're subscribing to us wherever you're watching or listening right now. By the way, how many of you folks are only listening to us on a podcast platform and not watching us on Twitch? Come see us live on twitch.tv slash TV. Don't forget to check out our web home of denigeek.com where you can find all our Marvel coverage. That's denigeek.com slash Marvel. Drop us a line. Let us know your burning questions and what you want us to cover in upcoming episodes. You can do that by going to at Marvel Standom on Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget, 
also have a DC show. So check out DC Standem where you can on all major podcast platforms. Now, if you came in late, you'll be able to watch this entire episode on denigeek.com or at our YouTube home, Denigeek US. We're trying to change that URL as we speak. Don't yell at me. Anyway, don't forget you can check out past episodes there and also wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thank you once again to our sponsor, Bob Streaming Club. Make sure you check them out over at bobstreamingclub.com. Thank you to Andrew Halley, the best producer in any corner of the multiverse. No technical difficulties will slow him down. Thanks to Den Geek social media coordinator, Lee Parham, for keeping everyone in line in the comments, even though you were poorly behaved in the comments yourself today, Lee. I'm watching you. Uh, go follow our TikTok at Den Geek TV, where Lee is doing really great work. Uh, special shout out to Michael R. as well for making the podcast version of this show all it can be. And most of all, Thank you all for watching, listening, following, subscribing. This has been Marvel Standom on the Denny Geek Network. And until next time, remember, folks, we stand together.